0: You know, I was thinking about what to um, what to share this evening, and I was thinking about my own water baptism, and thinking about why uh, why we still observe that ordinance today. And uh, you know, we talked about it in the beginning. The reason that we do water baptism is it's a public declaration of our belief in Jesus Christ, His work of restoring our relationship with God through His miraculous virgin birth, which is why we celebrate Christmas his death on a cross and his resurrection so that you and I can have a relationship with God. It's a long story, but we don't necessarily want to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. When sin was introduced into the world, it created this schism. And so humanity has been so fighting all through time before Jesus to kind of get that back. And when Jesus came and He was born of a virgin, and he died on a cross, and he was raised from the grave. He made a door. He opened a door for you and I to have this relationship with God who created you. If you're breathing here today, you can look at how you're made. God made you, and he made you, and, and he says you're beautiful, and he says that he loves you, but he also wants you to have a relationship with him. You know, the act of immersing your body into the water is symbolic of a spiritual cleansing. Because sometimes, just for a little bit of clarity's sake, when we do water baptism, I know different people teach different things about it, but what the Bible says is it's simply symbolic. It's like if you're dirty and you have to clean anything else, whether it's your car, your clothes, right? They get dirty and you have to clean them. Well, you can't just put soap on it and put it back in the closet, right? If some of you do that, you might want to Google how to use a wash machine. You might, you might want to take a step back for a moment, okay? But you can't just put soap on it and then put up. You need water. You need something clean. You need something fluid. You need something pure. Well, that kind of goes to the same with the spiritual aspect. We, because of sin, are filthy, Right? And so we need something clean, something pure to clean that up. And when you give your heart to Jesus, when you you start this relationship with him, he comes in and he, he begins to clean you up. And so when you go down into the baptismal waters, it symbolizes the filthy you coming into the baptismal tank. In some places it's a pool, in the Bible they used rivers, it, it, wherever it is, and you go down and you come back up and it's, when you're immersing in the water, it's, it's as if you're coming up clean, you've been cleaned. Now it's symbolic, that doesn't really happen in here, you know, that, that's, you're not going down in the water and it's clean, there's a lot of folks going in, they put some chlorine, they sprinkle some things in there to make sure, but It's symbolic. And so that's why we still do water baptism, so that people can come and and just have like this declaration to you to say, you know what, I'm going all the way with Jesus. But it doesn't always, it's not always that easy, right? Anybody who's been walking with him for a while, it's not always that easy. And And I begin to reflect over my life and how to me, I think I'm perfect, right? I'm not. Just ask anybody who knows me. Ask my mama. Ask the people who work here. We all think we're, we're perfect in some sense that we're, we're heading. We make mistakes here and there, but the reality is we're not. There's a, there's a sin nature. There's, there's something within us and, and we tend to, uh, murky the water a bit. If I can stay on that picture illustration of water, we tend to murky it. We tend to make it a little rough. And Jesus has a good habit of cleaning us up. And he's faithful like that, right? He's faithful to constantly remind you because life is going to come at you. This journey is going to come at you in so many different ways. These folks come out of the water baptismal tank, but they've got to go outside the walls, the doors of this church, and they've got to go back into life. And they may be going back into rough situations, rough home situations, rough work situations, rough marriages. We don't know what people go back to, and it's not always easy, and we're going to make mistakes, but this relationship with Jesus allows us an opportunity to go to him and to constantly get that cleaning. It's the same thing with a a garment, right? You don't wear it once, clean it once. It has to be cleaned. And that's kind of our life. Now, I want to take this picture illustration tonight. I want to, as I was thinking about this, there's a story in the Bible I want to go to. So I want to use a picture illustration on water. Can we do that tonight? kind of have a water theme, and so I want to just go through a story with you, and I want us to see how that applies to our life, all right? We're going to do that. We're going to turn into the Bible, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 15. If you don't, that's okay, because I'm going to read through the story, and in this Bible story, Exodus is in the Old Testament. It's a book of the Old Testament, and it was written by a man named Moses. You may have heard of him, Right, he was the little baby that was in the in the uh, basket that was sent down the river. There have been movies made about him, but Moses wrote a lot of the first. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He wrote a lot, uh, a lot of historical, a lot of for us to understand how we start with this. And so, in this book of Exodus, a little context before we get to this chapter fifteen. So, the the people of Israel had come to Egypt, and they were slaves to the Egyptians. All right, they, they had to make bricks. They had to, they had to do all kinds of stuff. They were the slaves of the Egyptians. And they cried out to their God. The one living true God. And, and cried out to him for help. And through miracle after miracle. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. How many of you kind of know that story? Parted the Red Sea. They walked on dry ground. They got to the other side. The Egyptians were coming after them. They got drowned in the Red Sea. So don't don't just be following after people. You know, you never know what's gonna happen, right? Don't go following after folks, all right? No lurking. But they got drowned. They go through, they're singing a song of deliverance, and now we get to chapter 15. And in chapter 15, they're on their way to a place called the Promised Land. God had already told them, I'm taking you to a particular place it's a promised land it's full of promises it's it's going to be a place where you're going to flourish and you're not going to be under slavery anymore and so that's roughly modern day Israel the country of Israel modern day if you look at it that's the promised land they were taking so they were going through and then this particular story comes out in Exodus 15 verses 22 to 27 so I'm going to read it and then we're going to kind of apply this and see how it applies to our life. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea that they had just crossed on dry ground, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. Now, I've never been to a desert, but I'm sure if you've gone three days and you ain't got no water, you're probably hot, sweaty, and thirsty. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water and this made the water good to drink. Some translations render that it made the water sweet. It was there at Mara that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. See, in this journey, this relationship with Jesus, he wants to know we're going to be faithful to him. It's like in a relationship you have with a child or, or with a, a spouse or maybe on a job. Sometimes, let's be honest, you kind of put folks to the test. You want to see where they're at, right? Do you really love me? Are you really going to do what I say? And there's nothing wrong with that. We can't look at that and say, why would God do that? Well, because God knows our nature. He knows how we are. We are here today and gone tomorrow, especially on God, right? Things are going rough. Jesus, oh, come on, God, I need you. Soon as things are good, you're like, God, who? I got money in the bank now, and God must have gave it to me, so I'll talk to him next time I'm broke. Some of y'all, exactly. You know, the holidays are coming and that's what you're doing. So that's what he did. He, he brought them to this place and he gave them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. What he had done was a lot of miraculous signs to get them out of Egypt. Because the Egyptians were basically saying, your God is whack. We don't believe in that God. We have all of our gods. And so the one true real God said, oh, okay, let me show you some stuff. Turned the Nile into blood, brought locusts in, put boils on it. I mean, he did a lot of things that no other God had done before them just to show them That there is one true living God and that these people of Israel were worshiping him. Sometimes God will allow things in our life to remind us of who he is. In the moment, it may not be easy. And I'm not saying that's why you have a sickness or a disease. Don't misunderstand me. But there are things that he will allow into your life to remind you that he wants this relationship with you. To remind you how much he loves you. Now you may not see it as love in the moment. But he is saying I love you. I just want you to come back to me. So he was telling this to them. He goes for I am the Lord who heals you. Even if a disease were to come. Even if this something were to come into your life. I'm the one that heals you. I'm the provider. After leaving Mara, The Israelites traveled onto the oasis of Elam. Where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there beside the water. Now, know what you're thinking. How in the world does this relate to my life? And that's probably a good question. But let's let's picture life for a moment. Let's put it in an illustration. We tend to have these bittersweet moments in our life. And and most of the time, there's situations, there's circumstances that are bittersweet. Meaning there there was a hardship, there was something going on, and it turned out much better than we thought, right? We can all say we've experienced something like that. But... I want to dig a little deeper. I want to go not just about moments, but I want us to zoom in to a deeper aspect, a spiritual heart and mind level. We're at church, right? We're at church. So you came here, hopefully, to hear about Jesus, hopefully to to have somebody talk about the Bible and, and to bring him alive through there. So in this particular case, let's go just a little deeper than some, some surface moments. Let's go a little deeper into what God Is really trying to get at which is our relationship with him or if you're here tonight and you don't have one then he's definitely trying to get your attention so let's talk about that life has a definite way of affecting your outlook which in turn affects your actions your outlook affects your actions right and then it affects your interactions with other people Your outlook affects your actions, which affects your interactions. What does that statement mean? Let's take this life, let's say your life, if you want to, if you have the capacity to do that, let's take this life journey and let's overlay it onto the story. And then let's look at the story from a different perspective if we're looking at life. Can we do that? Let's say you come to a point where things are happening in the journey of life, and then all of a sudden you hit a desert. You hit a desert, you, a dry place that has you longing to understand the most basic things about life. And we can all do that. We hit a desert, and what's the first thing we do? We look at the most basic thing. It's similar to how they were wandering the desert, and they just wanted water. That's the most basic thing. When you're wandering the desert, you want water, right? Right? When you're wandering a desert in your own life, you want the basics. And really what that means is you're basically at the point where you're thirsty. Trust me, if you're running around for three days, or I don't think they were running, but if you're walking around the desert for three days and you don't have any water, you probably, you think you might see a mirage, you see something. And then when you see water, you rush to it only to find out it's bitter. And that's what happened to them. And do you know, by some estimates, there could have been upwards to a million of those folks. So it was a lot of people. And I'm sure the first ones that saw the water, they ran to it first. They were not thinking about their friends behind them. And they get there, and it's bitter. So you had your hope. You had had your mind set on something. And instead, it turned out bitter. Now, by the way, that word bitter, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, means unpleasant. Disagreeable, distasteful, harsh. We kind of get the picture of what bitter means, right? So you get to this place for water. You get to the basic symbols of life, and it's bitter. And that's what happened. They even named the place Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. So they got there, it was water. It didn't have that name, it wasn't like a sign that said, Welcome to Mara, home of the bitter waters. I didn't say that. They're, run, they're walking through the desert. They see water. They go. It's bitter. And so somebody goes, this is Mara. And they just passed it along. Where are we at? I think the guy up front said Mara. Are you sure? Yeah, he said something about Mara. It's bitter. But do you know the first thing they did when they got there? The very first thing they did when they got there was complain And then turn on the guy who just led them out of slavery. Isn't that just like folks, right? You want to get to the point, you complain, and then you turn on the guy who just led them out of slavery. You know what? You and I do the exact same thing when we hit a desert in life. We complain, get upset, and then blame God. And you're thinking, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Think about it. It may look like you have a good reason, all right? The situation, things are going well, you lose your job. Things are going well, you end up with cancer. Things are going well, and a a bomb is dropped on you from a family event that's come up, or you have to do this. Things are going well, and something harsh, something disagreeable, something distasteful pops up, and you get upset, you start complaining, you think you have every good reason to fuss and complain about it, right? Right? I got a good reason because things were going this way. But in reality, you may fuss and complain about the people around you, but it's really an accusation to God. Because we know that he holds all things in his hand. So we 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 channel all of this towards God and we're basically saying if God is good, he should be up there making everything flow my way. But it ain't happening. So we get upset. And do you know what happens? A little seed of bitterness is deposited into our heart. Just a little seed. And the more we allow that, the more seeds get planted. And they're in there. And you know what happens? Seeds grow. Seeds begin to grow. And this little root of bitterness begins to grow. And before long, maybe you're a little more cynical than you normally are. Maybe a little more sarcastic. Maybe a little more sharp. All of a sudden, you become, be, you become a little disagreeable. You ever run across a bitter person? Right? You, you ever come across that person at work? Or you've come across them in the store? You've come across... Sometimes in church. Oops. Let me be real. You run across that person, and they're bitter. There's something just disagreeable about them. Well, that's usually because they hit a desert somewhere... And when they begin to ask some of the most simple questions, they felt like God had failed them, but they didn't want to say that they were complaining against God. See, these folks asked Moses a question that sounded reasonable, but it was really an accusation. They asked him, what are we going to drink? Sounds like a reasonable question, right? You've been walking three days, you get to bed now, what are we going to drink? And I could just imagine Moses like, you got to be kidding me, right? Well, I mean, I didn't put the water there. How am I? I don't know. But it, it just boils to that point. We do the same thing. We think God maybe failed us in, in, and he's playing some game with us. And we ask him, where were you when this happened? Where were you when, when my mother got sick? Where were you when my marriage was falling apart? Where were you? When I lost my job right before the holiday season, where were you? God, what are you up to? Why me? And if you're real, then prove it by fixing it, it, doing X, Y, and Z. That's what we do. We, We want him to do that. And it's really just the seed of bitterness sprouting out, or should I say spouting out, just sprouting out of us towards God. And then it begins to your actions. So that's your outlook. It's formed in bitterness, Starts messing with your actions. You start complaining and accusing God. And then it messes with your interactions with others. And people begin to know that. But you know what I love is Moses' response. Moses' response was on point. I have to just tell you. Because he he had a relationship with God for a lengthy period of time. And so he knew what it was. Because if you read some of his story, he actually killed a guy little, little, little further back, he killed a guy because he thought he, he knew what was best, end up taking a life. And then he had to spend time for 40 years in his own wilderness. At this point, Moses was probably in his eighties. He had this relationship with the Lord. He had gotten to that point. So he knew not to have bitterness. His response, he didn't yell back. He cried out to God for help. He knew the answer to the desert problem. And you and I, when we have a desert problem, we have to follow his example. When you have a desert situation, you cry out to Jesus. Now, if you know him, this is going to be a reminder to you. But if you're here tonight and you don't know him, then you have to understand these crucial steps. It starts with a relationship. You have to have a relationship with him because he's going to speak back in the desert situations. If you're a Christian, you know that if you're not, and you're thinking, but how does God speak? He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer, sometimes through worship, but he's going to speak back to you. God's not afraid of questions. He's not upset about questions. He, he says, ask me, ask of me. Sometimes we get that. I can't ask God. So I'll call up the church and ask the pastor. Or I'll ask my neighbor. I say, ask God, talk to him. He has the best answers anyway, not me. Besides, it depends on the day you call. If I answer, I don't know. I might not be in the right mood. Right? God has the answers. And you know what God's response to Moses? He showed Moses a piece of wood. Now you're thinking like, what? Here we have bitter water and God wants to take time to say, Moses, look, there's a piece of wood exactly you may be thinking what in the world why is he showing him wood because see God knows he knows that when we're facing our own desert situation of bitterness he's going to show us a piece of wood it's the cross that Jesus hung on God doesn't arbitrarily do stuff he this story found in exodus was just preparing you for what was coming later in the new testament What he was preparing you for was a way for you to take this story and not just say, "Okay, so they got to some bitter water. So what? No, he wants to show something. And when you overlay your life story on here, then it starts making sense. See, he the piece of wood that God is trying to show us in our desert situation is the cross that Jesus died on for your sins and mine, the sins of humanity. He died on that cross, not arbitrarily. He died there for a reason to bring us back into that relationship. So you know what Moses did? He picks up the wood and he throws it into the bitter water, making it good to drink. Again, some translations say making it sweet, making it agreeable, making it something that you want to taste. You know, the Bible in the scripture, taste the Lord and see that he's good. Why does he say that you ever gone to somebody's house and they, they cooked for you? They tell you I'm the greatest cook in the world. You don't know how good of a cook they are until you taste it. Cause I've had some folks tell me that. And when they, when I tasted it, I did not see that it was good. Some of us are tasting the devil, tasting the world, tasting, and it's not good, but taste of Jesus taste of Jesus. See, believing in Jesus and entering into a relationship with him is the same principle. The wood going in the bitter waters, the cross coming into your life, into your heart and into your mind. It's the same principle. It cleans you up. It'll make you sweet. Your bitter becomes sweet. Your desert becomes an oasis Your life now has meaning. Your purpose and your outlook change because of this relationship with him. Remember, Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit that is now alive in you, will guide you and help you navigate on this life's journey. God was leading them through this desert. He knew they were going to get to this bitter place. He also knew the piece of wood was going to be there because he wanted to test their faithfulness. When they got there, would they trust him? Now mind you, this is the same God that brought them out of Egypt, split a sea and they walked through it. 3 days later, they're like, "He's trying to kill us in here. We're going to drown. We're going to just die of a heat stroke." And God says, "Man, how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget." See, Jesus begins to clean you from the inside out none of there wasn't anything that they could do to clean the water Moses had to pick the piece of wood up and throw it into the water so that the water was clean and then those on the outside of the water could drink it Jesus cleans you from the inside out see we have to be careful that we don't mistake in Christianity for some behavioral modification religion we all know that we're some of our parts of our life aren't good right We don't go to Jesus and make him a means to an end, because what will happen is if you do that, oh, I'm struggling with gossip. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I'll go to Jesus. He'll clean me up. All will be better. What happens is when you have this relationship with Jesus and those things try to creep back up in your life, and then you find yourself struggling again, what are you going to do? You're going to blame Jesus. Well, he didn't work. I'll try something else. So it's not a behavioral modification. It's not trying to clean the outside of you. When you have a relationship with Jesus, that's why we always say he comes into your heart and your mind. He cleans the inside of you. And when the inside of you is clean, it will affect the outside and it will start affecting other people. So we have to remember that. Only a purity from God can change your heart your mind, your outlook, your action, and your interactions, and make them permanent. And only a relationship with Jesus will answer the simple and the deep questions of your heart. Only he can make life truly bittersweet. What does that mean? Sin that left some scars only become reminders of how it used to be, not how it is and how it's going to be. Those are just scars. You ever been an accident, Looked at a scar and you remember that, but it doesn't hurt anymore. It's just a scar. Spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus will do in your life. We will all have scars in our life, but Jesus begins to clean us up. And so our present and our future don't have to remain bitter. They can become sweet. I want us to go to the end of the story. It's a brief story, but at the very end, they left Mara. Okay, they left the bitterness, and they ended up in the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs of clean water and 70 palm trees. This represents life and provision. Bitter waters won't give you that. Bitter waters, there's not going to be any life. There's not going to be any palm branches coming up. It's bitter. It's harsh. It's, it's disagreeable. But when there's clean water, life begins to grow. So the same happens when you have a relationship with Jesus. Life begins to grow in you. He begins to scrub you up. He begins to show you that he's your provider. He begins to show you how much he cares. He begins to show you who he is. And let me tell you, it is a phenomenally amazing journey. Oh, because... You will run into some other desert situations. They didn't stay at Elam. They had to keep walking because remember there was a promised land. Well, for you and I, promised land is, is heaven. It's eternity where we get to spend forever with him, forever with Jesus, forever singing his praises. You think church is great tonight? Wait till you get to heaven. Oh, my goodness. That's our promised land. But we're going to have to walk through some deserts. We're going to have to walk through some valleys. We're going to have to walk through through some things. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to be like Moses when you get to some places that maybe have some bitter water. You won't complain. You're going to cry out to God. And he's going to remind you of who he was, what he did on the cross, and who he is. And then you're going to be able to praise him and walk with him. Jesus is life and provides all that we need in him. But you can't experience this life or be with him if you don't have a relationship. You will constantly stay in the desert, asking questions, complaining, and becoming more and more bitter. And that's not the life he has for you. It's a very simple story. That when you see the journey of life and you're there, you can understand that it is written for us so that we can go to Jesus. We'll have this example. And I want to ask you a simple question tonight. Do you feel like you're in a desert? Do you feel like you've you've come to a place where you have some questions, maybe simple questions, maybe deeper questions? but you feel like you're in a desert. You feel like you're at this place and, and it's not agreeable and maybe you realize some, some things are creeping up into your heart. Maybe you do have a relationship with him and you're at the point where you're starting to waver on that. Or if you're here tonight, you realize you don't have a relationship with him. As a matter of fact, you've been stuck in this desert place for a while. The answer is very simple. It's a relationship with Jesus. That's the answer to the desert that you may be facing right now. But I'm going to ask you to do something for me. This holiday season, the reason is Jesus. And you don't have to live this holiday season in a desert place. You don't have to let bitterness, anger, You don't have to let these things rule and reign in your life. You can do what Moses did. And you turn to Jesus. You cry out to him. Don't complain to your friend. Don't text them, Because all they're going to do is kind of console you. But Jesus will begin to change you from the inside out. So I'm going to ask you to do something a bit bold. If you feel you're in that desert place, I'm going to ask you to step out and join me down here. Because all I want to do is I just want to pray with you. If you have a relationship and you're in that desert place, you come. But if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with him, don't leave here the same way you came. Come, let's pray. God, I thank you for the boldness for them to say, yes, I'm in a desert place. Yes, I'm in a place where I'm facing the bitter waters of life. But I know that you can turn them sweet. I know that in a relationship with you, you're going to, you're going to help me as I cry out. You're going to show me those places. You're going to show me the wood. You're going to show me what I need to do. And God, if it's a test of the faithfulness, Lord, I thank you for their boldness to step down here and to say, I, I want to pass that test. I want to put my faith solidly in Jesus Christ. God, if they're down here and they have a relationship with you, but they're, they're hitting a dry patch, God, I pray that you would just pour your water, pour the spirit upon them, oh God. Revive them, oh Lord. Put the wood in the water, oh God. Turn it sweet and just remind them. Remind them of who they are, of being your child, of how much you love them. God, if they're stepping down here for the first time to start this relationship, oh, I know you're rejoicing in heaven because your word says so. God, I pray that they would understand that in this journey of life, that you are there. You're providing for them. You're the reason for them to live this life. You've breathed into them. You have a purpose. You have a plan for them, O God. The scars of the past do not define who they are. It just shows where they've come from. But today they've made the decision to trust in you and not be the same person they were before. And help them on the journey, God. Because when they leave here, it's going to seem like all hell comes against them. But they're going to be able to turn to this story and trust. They're going to be able to see that you can take bitter and make it sweet. So God, I thank you for them. I thank you for their boldness of stepping down here. Jesus, we are honored to be able to pray with our friends down the front. God, cradle them in your arms. Speak to them, O God. I pray that there would be something in them that would want to read the Bible, would want to talk to you. Tonight when they go home and they bow next to their bed or they're laying in their bed and their mind is racing. What did I do? What's going on? They would just begin to talk to you because you hear them. And This season would be an amazing season for them because they're truly giving their life to the reason we celebrate. We love you for that, Jesus, and we honor you and his precious name.